0: All right, so just to kind of uh, catch you up to where we are, um, we left off right before uh, verse 17. Um, I think it's on, what page is that? Because this handout is different. Yeah, uh, the top of page 2 where it says Abraham's posterity, we left off right before that. Um, So that's where we're going to start tonight. So if you want to go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4, and get there. And could I actually get somebody to volunteer to read that? Lance, Uh, verses 17 through 21. Yes. All right. So right away, uh, you see there on your outline, I believe, it says that he was to be the father of many nations, right? This was what we call the Abrahamic covenant. This is the covenant that God made with Abraham, saying that I'm going to, through you, you're going to be the father of many nations. This was where the line of Jesus was going to eventually come through. So he's making this promise to him um, <clears throat> there in the handout. How did he get this blessing? How did he get this blessing? Let me see, because what he has, his notes are a little bit different than your outline. So I want to see what exactly you guys have. All right. So it says there in your outline, how did he get this blessing? He believed, right? Verse seventeen it says, "As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations before him, whom ye believed, even God, who." quickeneth the dead, and calleth those things which be not as though they were. So this is because he's, he's believed in God, he's trusted in him. Be, God's basically kind of rewarding his faithfulness, his ability to trust in God, because he believed God is going to bless him uh, by allowing him to be the father of many nations. But we know that Abraham wasn't perfect, right? None of us are perfect. Uh, we know that he made mistakes, and even after he received this promise from God, you know, many years had passed. He wasn't having any children, so if he's not having any children, how is he going to be the father of many nations? And uh, we know that he ended up having the son Ishmael, not with his wife, but uh, with a servant of of theirs. And that that went against God, right? He was that was him kind of showing maybe a little bit of doubt in God. They were trying to think, okay, this isn't working with with Sarah, right? And so. There he kind of showed a little bit of his lack of faith. So that's an example of how he wasn't perfect. He definitely made mistakes. Um, but from God's point of view, he was faithful, right? You know, we have the same kind of example when it comes to Noah, right? We know that Noah, he saw favor in God's eyes. That's why God gave him the, the plan to build the ark, uh, the plan. Uh, he, told them, he told them what was going to happen with the flood. And he didn't give that plan to Noah because Noah was perfect. Right? Noah had mistakes Noah messed up but compared to what everyone else was kind of doing right? we know that the world was extremely wicked at that point um, Noah was still he, he kind of stood out from people and it, we don't even know that Noah was the most closest to perfect back then but he saw favor in God's eyes and that's kind of the same thing here with Abraham he wasn't perfect he made mistakes of course but from God's point of view he was faithful to God and that, that can be reassuring to us too right? Because we know that we're going to make mistakes, we're going to mess up. But as we mess up, when we make those mistakes, we feel that conviction of the Holy Spirit, right? Then we go to God, we confess that sin to him. So even though we, we do mess up and we sin and we hurt God in that way, when we're confessing that sin to him, when we're coming to him with that, and we're showing that we're um, remorseful for what we did, that, that's a sign of that relationship continuing to, to progress. We're still faithful to him, So let's note some key aspects of Abraham's faith in this section. First of all, he believed. What is the kind of God he believed in? First one, a God who one quickens the dead and calling the things that are not as though they were. So, first of all, quickens the dead. What does that, when you hear that phrase, a God who quickens the dead, what does that make you think? What does that say to you? Or what picture of god does that give to you when you see quickens the dead restores life restores life yeah. yeah i mean the resurrection of christ obviously comes to life, but just the fact that god has power over life and, death. Mm-hmm. and he has because of the resurrection of christ the power over life and death we're able to have renewed life through him right so that idea of quickens the dead and when we kind of read through stories like this and passages like this when we kind of get, we already kind of know what the big story is. You know, we're reading about Abraham here and um, kind of his story. Sometimes we'll kind of run right past a phrase like that, quickens the dead. But a a small little phrase like that tells us a lot about the God that we serve, right? He quickens the dead. He brings the dead back to life. Nobody else, no other God can do that. So that's a pretty awesome and pretty amazing uh, aspect about God. So that First of all, is the kind of God uh, that he believed in. Number two, calling the things that are not as though they were. What does that make you think? Things that are not as though they were. Creation. There was nothing. Exactly. So that, you know, just in those two phrases, power over life and death, and the fact that he can create life, right? Literally out of nothing. He spoke everything that we know into existence other than man. Man, he formed by his hands but he was able to speak everything into existence. So if you're kind of doubting God, if you're kind of feeling that, you know, maybe God can't really help you get through what, whatever you're dealing with, if you could just think of those two things alone, the God who quickens the dead and a God who calls things that, as, that are not as though they were, he speaks things into existence. It's a pretty powerful God that we have on our side, right? God told Abraham, I have made you a father of many nations, not I will make you. So what is that saying? It's it, pretty much, it's happening. Yeah. So it's it's not even, yes, it's a promise, but it's pretty much saying, listen, as far as I'm concerned, it's already happened, right? Because God, he's outside of time. He knows it's going to happen. So he's telling Abraham, listen, it's happened, okay? So that's that's really cool as well. God is... God is this way with us today as well. We're not going to be justified. We are justified, right? We're not, like, if we accept salvation today, that doesn't mean that, you know, I'm, I'm, like, on a waiting list, and once I finally die, I'm justified. Or once I, you know, read so much of my Bible, I'm justified. I accept salvation today. I'm justified today. Now, throughout the rest of my life, I can grow closer to him, become more like him, and live more and more like him every day. But the minute I accept Christ as my Savior, in God's eyes, I'm justified. It's as if I paid that price, I'd no longer have to go and spend eternity in hell, right? The price has been paid, Christ covered it on the cross. So in Romans 8, verses 29 and 30, we reference that real quick. It says, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. So this idea of it's already happened, we're already justified. Even before we were born, God knew that we were going to accept salvation, right? So we've already been justified. It's not something that we have to look forward to. If we've accepted Christ, we've been justified. So, now, with that verse, are we glorified yet? We know that we're already justified, but in those verses, based on Romans 8, 29, and 30, are we glorified yet? Yes or no? So, it says in verse 30, it says, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. So, In a way, yes, we are glorified. We're not in our fully glorified body that we're going to have when we're with him in heaven, right? But in God's eyes, it's already accomplished, right? Physically, we're not glorified because we still have our human body. We still have sin. But in God's eyes, it's already accomplished. So um, also, moving on, uh, Abraham, he believed against hope. There was no human ground for hope. So basically, as far as he was concerned, you know, humanly, there was no chance. All the hope was out the window. There was no chance that they were going to be able to have one child, let alone be the father of many nations. So he believed against hope. Still, he believed God anyway, and his faith gave him that hope. So when we talk about hope as Christians, we kind of have a different idea of hope than unsaved people do, right? When people who aren't saved, when we're not talking about the hope we have in Christ, that kind of hope is more like wishful thinking, right? You know, I kind of hope that this happens. And when you say that, you're almost acknowledging that you don't expect it to happen, right? Because if you're hoping it, you, you kind of are already preparing for it to not happen. Otherwise, you're going to say, this is going to happen. That's not the hope that we have in Christ. The hope we have in Christ is... It is going to happen, and because of that, I have the hope that is going to happen, and now I can live joyfully today. So <clears throat> we can kind of experience that same hope that that Abraham had. It wasn't a human kind of hope because there wasn't any human ground for hope. For us today, out of our faith comes that hope. So it's kind of an interesting you know, way that it works there. Our faith in God, we trust in him and we, and we trust in who he is, and through that we have hope, we have confidence. So when we see that word, our, out of our faith comes hope, that's again, that's not that human kind of wishful thinking hope. That's that confidence kind of hope, which is a much more, you know, impressive kind of hope. It's, it's the hope that I kind of want to have, right? So he believed in spite of circumstances. What were his circumstances, his physical condition? He was old, right? Sarah was old. Um, And, you know, back when they were living, we're not exactly sure, you know, because back early in the Old Testament, life expectancy was longer. We see people living for much longer than the 100 years and 90 years that him and Sarah were. But so some of it might have been that they actually physically couldn't because of their age. But even if we don't look at that aspect, the fact that, they've been going this whole time without having kids, right? And this is something that God said was going to happen. They're probably starting to think, okay, maybe she physically can't have children. So he believed in spite of his physical condition. When God promised him a son, it wasn't just the one son that was hard to imagine, but that his seed will be like the stars of the heavens. So you think about that, right? Yes, he said he was going to be the father of many nations, and in order to do that, you have to have one son. And so over time, as, as it's not happening, you know, maybe they're, trying, they're starting to question when is it going to happen? But you think back to the promise that God gave him. He didn't say, I'm going to give you a son, right? He said, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. So you have to know that that son's coming, right? That, that hope that he had in God. But the seed uh, will be like the stars of the heavens, his own body now dead and deadness of Sarah's womb. So again, it was kind of as if they didn't think it was physically possible anymore, right? Paul points out that in Abraham and Sarah's mind, or maybe in the mind of the cultural norm in their time, this was not a common thing to take place for them to be able to have a child at their age. Because what happens happens when Sarah and Abraham kind of get this message? What does Sarah do? She laughs. Her response is she laughs, right? Why would she laugh unless it was something that You know, kind of like what we talked about this morning, when David wasn't there, when Samuel came, they didn't even think to bring David. It was the last thing on their mind. She laughs because, like, there's no no way in the world we're going to be able to have a kid. So um, this is not a common thing to take place. We can trust in spite of our circumstances because he is the God that can quicken the dead, like we talked about before. So an amazing example of salvation, if you look at Ephesians 2... Let's go ahead and turn there real quick. Let's see. In Ephesians chapter 2, there's an amazing example of salvation. We're dead in our trespasses and sin, right? In verse, verse 1 right away, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin. So as far as we're concerned with our sin, we're completely dead. There's no chance of... Because just like we talked about, when we accept salvation, we're justified. The second that Adam and Eve sinned, they were destined to spend, you know, eternity without God. That immediately, that relationship with God that they had was fractured. It, was, it wasn't like it was before. So it's an immediate kind of thing. So in that same way, when we sin, we're dead in our trespasses and sin. We're, we might as well be considered dead. Um, <clears throat> and there's nothing that we can do about it. But it's God's saving power that's released in us when we realize we're unable to save ourselves. So that's, that's really the key thing when it comes to salvation, when it comes to accepting what we know as the gospel. If you've ever led some, you know, maybe if, if you're somebody who's been saved a really long time, but kind of more recently in memory you've helped lead somebody to Christ, and you're kind of sitting there and trying to show them that they need Jesus, how are you going to show them they need Jesus? What's important for them to understand that they need Jesus? Mm-hmm. And and God has a standard, right? We know what his standard is. It's perfection. And, there's, and when we go, you know, you can go through the Romans road, right? And it says in Romans that for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Right there, that covers all of us, right? Every single one of us have sinned. And because of that, we fall short of God's glory. So when When you've accepted Christ, when you're leading somebody to Christ, that's a really important thing that needs to be understood because if they don't understand that they don't meet this standard, then why do I need to accept Christ, right? And then you can also go through other different passages, right? Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, it's by grace that you're saved. It's not something that I can do. It's not any works that I can do. I can do as many great works as I want. Or, you know, some people believe if at the end of my life I've done one more good thing than I've done bad things, then I'm going to be set. It doesn't matter if you do one more good thing than bad thing or a million more good things. There's nothing that we can do because every single one of us has done at least one bad thing, and that one bad thing is enough to send us to hell. So keep losing my spot here. So it's not our power that saves us. There's nothing that we can do. So when we realize that, that it's not our power, um, and we accept God's saving power, that's when we're quickened, the dead is quickened. So moving on here with Abraham, he believed without staggering. all right He wasn't divided. The word "stagger" here means to divide, and the idea is a man divided. So let me get back to Romans. So back in Romans, chapter four, when we see here they're talking about a staggered man. It means that he's divided. So Abraham was not divided. He was torn between I believe and I don't know, right? He wasn't sure because, yes, he believed that God gave him this promise. He trusted that God was going to do it. But physically, it's not really making sense. I don't know that it's really going to happen. And like we talked about before, God knew, right? When he told him, he didn't say, I will make you. He said, I made you. I've made you a, a father of many nations. So he was kind of torn between I believe and I don't know. Now again, we know he had some weak moments, but it's kind of interesting that it's not what Paul records here that his weaknesses, right? He's recording where he is kind of a good example for us, right? He's he's recording his faith that he had in God, his trust that he had that he was going to fulfill this promise that he made to him. So It's interesting that Paul records the positive here and not his weak moments. So what can we maybe take from that example of Paul? How Paul chooses to record the positives of Abraham in his situation and not bring up, you know, when he stumbled, when he messed up. How can we apply that to our lives? Paul's example here. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and even this morning we talked a little bit about how I might, even myself, because of my past, think that I can't do these certain things. And if we're able to do that to ourselves, a lot of times we're much more critical of other people, right? So if I'm going to think of myself that way, there's a good chance, you know. Maybe I'm not purposely going around and trying to nitpick at everybody, but kind of, you know, looking at someone and be like, oh, so they're doing that, you know. I didn't think they'd be able to do that. Did you have something to say? I just was going to say we do that to ourselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Another thing we can think of is maybe we can learn from this uh, when someone around us stumbles, instead of holding on to that failure, encourage them to continue in faith, right? Because that's what we would want if we were to mess up. That's what the church is supposed to be here for, right? We're supposed to, when somebody stumbles, we're supposed to help them, come alongside them, encourage them, point them to God. And if that were to happen to us, we wouldn't want somebody to keep pointing out, well, you messed up here, you messed up here, right? Come alongside that person, encourage them. So it's really kind of cool how Paul does that. He doesn't point out the different areas when Abraham messed up, his mistakes that he made. Because really, how would that help the message that he's trying to get across anyway, right? It's completely besides the point. It's not related, really. He's showing the faith that that Abraham had, and we can take that example to encourage people in the faith when, when they stumble, because that's exactly what we would want them to do for us. Moving on, it says, he believed God could perform whatever he promised. Now, that's a pretty big, you know, that's one of those things where it's a lot easier to say than it is to actually live out and like, even believe in our hearts. Like, we can, you know, talking here in a group like this, we can say that we believe that for sure, and then maybe right away we're thinking of something in our mind, like, I don't know if he can help me with this, though, you know? And so it's something that we struggle with sometimes, but he believed God could perform whatever it was that he promised. So Abraham believed God could, that God would, according to his plan. And Paul repeats once more, therefore it was imputed unto him for righteousness. What does that mean? Does anybody have any idea what, what that means? Uh, therefore it was imputed unto him for righteousness. Why would he say that again? Where am I at? Credited to Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that, that idea of crediting as being credited as righteous, right? Try and think of that like when we think of the term credit now, right? This is something that's kind of applied to us, this credit. And so that's what him being righteous, it was credited to him. And uh, I, think, I think it was actually last week on Sunday night, Pastor John, he was talking about, you know, when you hear the term justified, it, you know, you've heard before, just as if I'd never sinned, but it's also just as if I'd always obeyed. So once we've accepted salvation and we've been justified, right right from that beginning, right from the point we've accepted salvation, it's as if we've never even done anything against him, and it's as if we've also always obeyed and lived for him. So immediately it goes back and we've been credited with that. So Because God looks back and he doesn't see any of that. He sees what Christ did on the cross for us. So that's a really cool um, picture. You know, I've heard plenty of times before that, just as if I'd never sinned. Um, and I think the first time I heard the other one was in the men's Bible study a couple weeks ago, um, just as if I'd always obeyed. And that's a really kind of, um, it's a much more positive way of looking at it, right? Because even when with me saying that, I've still acknowledged that I have sinned. And it's important for us to remember where we were before Christ, right? Just because we've been saved now doesn't mean we need to act as if we actually never sinned. Because then we, if we start getting that idea, then we might start thinking, okay, I've never really messed up. We start get, maybe getting a little bit of a prideful attitude. Um, but. That's what God sees, right? When we've accepted salvation, we've been justified. It's as if we've never sinned. It's as if we've always obeyed. It's as if we've always lived up to his um, expectation for us. So it was imputed unto him for righteousness. So now moving on to, we see some concrete illustrations in Romans 4 of the principles in Romans 3, 27 through 31. That's where we're at, right? Trying to... Yep. All right. So, you see the table there on your handout. Um, where we're kind of compare the two different passages. All right? So, Romans 3:27 boasting is excluded and in Romans 4:1 through 3, let's go ahead and read through those real quick again. It says, "What shall we say then that Abraham our father, as pertaining to the flesh, hath found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God." For what saith the scripture, Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. So it says that he couldn't boast in what he did, right? It was all because of God. It's God who deserves the glory. So in Romans three twenty-seven, where is boasting then? It is excluded. So boasting is, is excluded, and then we see that repeated in Romans four. So there's kind of, you know, Paul's really trying to drive some of these ideas home. Romans three twenty eight. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. We see that again in in chapter four verses four through eight, where it says Now to him that worketh is the reward, not reckoned of grace but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Even as God even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man unto whom both unto him unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works, saying, blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. So this idea of being justified by faith, it's not anything that we can do. If it was anything that we can do, then we could boast, right? We could say, look what I did. I earned my salvation. And then again, the idea of God justifies all by faith. We see that in chapter 3, verses 29 and 30. Is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also, seeing it is one God which shall justify the circumcision by faith and uncircumcision through faith. So that's really important, right, that his justification is for all. It says also for Gentiles. That's really important for us because that's where we fall, right? We're Gentiles. We're non-Jews. So it's really important that he's able to justify all. And we see that again in chapter four, verses nine through 12, right? We see that indicates God justifies all by faith. It says, cometh this blessedness then upon the circumcision only or upon the uncircumcision also. For we say that faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. How was it then reckoned when he was in circumcision or in uncircumcision? not in circumcision, but in uncircumcision. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith, which he had yet being uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all them that believe, though they be not circumcised, that righteousness might be imputed unto them also. So right there, what that's saying, that includes us as non-Jews in this promise that he gave him, right? He was going to be the father of many nations. These are God's people. He wants to be able to give this promise to these people, that includes us right there in verse 11. And the father of circumcision to them who are not of the circumcision only, but who also walk in the steps of the faith of our father Abraham, which he had being yet uncircumcised. And then the last thing that we kind of see in both passages is in verse 31 of chapter 3, faith establishes the law. Do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid, yea, we establish the law. So that's really important for us to remember because we were talking before about when we're witnessing to somebody or when we're accepting salvation, we need to understand that we don't meet God's standard. Well, without the law, how would we know that we don't meet his standard? How do we know what his standard is? And so that's what's really important, especially um, nowadays it's becoming more and more prevalent that uh, people like to kind of forget the Old Testament, say, well, it's not really relevant to us anymore, or they like to just kind of even the Bible as a whole just kind of like to pick different parts out, what they like, what they don't like, and kind of say, well, this doesn't really apply to us today. Well, the danger with that is if I say even this one passage isn't relevant to us today, then that means the Bible says that there's no error in it, right? So if this one part isn't true for us today, then that verse saying that there's no error in the Bible, that also is untrue. And if that's untrue then we have a big problem on our hands trying to figure out, okay, what's true and here, what is untrue? So it's really important to understand that the entire Bible is true and relevant for us today because, yes, we're not condemned by the law anymore, but that doesn't mean that the law isn't relevant to us, right? And you might hear people say that you can kind of use the law as a mirror or a measuring stick to kind of look at yourself, see where you measure up, and when you see, I don't measure up, I fail in all these different areas, right? Because we know that if you've uh, broken one, you've broken them all. Because there's no there's no scale of once you break this many laws, once you sin this many times, now you're a sinner. No, you sin once you've sinned. One of the things that I, I reference a lot uh, with the teens on Wednesday nights is if I go out here and I drive home, and you know it's 55 out here on 53. If if I go out and I drive 70 miles an hour, am I breaking the law? Yes. If I go out and I drive 56 miles an hour, am I breaking the law? Yes. Now, if I were to get pulled over for 56, I would be pretty frustrated and quite upset and think that, you know, what does this guy have? He's got some kind of problem. He's pulling me over for one over. But technically, I have broken the law, right? Now, if I go 70, I'm getting a much bigger ticket. Fifty-six, I might not even get a ticket, but the fact is I broke the law. There's no, you kind of broke the law or you really broke. It's yes or no, black or white. So the law is important for us because that's what shows us that we need Christ. So it's important to remember that, yes, even though we're no longer condemned by the law, we're, we're no long, we no longer have to, you know, make constant sacrifices in order to make up for when we break the law, now we're justified through faith in Christ. We need that law to show us that we need him. So closing out the chapter, I'm going to read uh, the last uh, four verses, 22 through 25. Does anybody want to volunteer to read those for us? All right, Kelsey. All right, so first of all, we see right away, it's not just for his sake alone, right? It's for all of us. It says there in verses 22 and 23, And therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. Now, it was not written for his sake alone, but it was imputed that it was imputed to him, but for us also. That's awesome, right? That's how we're able to have salvation. If it was just for him at that point, and and God didn't do anything after that, then it wouldn't affect us at all. But we've it's it's we've been credited with righteousness through through salvation. So that that faith that granted Abraham righteousness is the same faith, right? Because he wasn't putting his faith in what Christ did on the cross because that didn't happen yet. But he was still putting his faith in God in the same fashion, the same manner, really. Um, that we do when we place our faith in, in Christ for salvation. It says, God has but one way of saving men in all ages. It is by faith apart from works. Revelation may change, but down through the ages, salvation is through faith in God. What does that mean when you read that? What, what, what does that make you think? Yeah. Mm-hmm, exactly. Because they, they were putting faith in the fact that when I make this sacrifice to God, that this is going to, you know, he's going to honor this and he's going to forgive me for what, what I did, right? So it, it was different, but it wasn't different, right? So that's what it means by revelation may change, but down through the age of salvation is through faith in God. And then it says there specifically for us on this side of the cross, We don't look forward to a promise. We look back to the finished work of Christ, right? So even Abraham, when he's making those sacrifices, he was using that same kind of faith, but they were looking forward to what was going to come. They were looking forward to it. We have the ability to look back, and we have the completed Bible in front of us. We're able to look back, and we know what Christ did on the cross. We know what that means, and so we're able to look back at that and trust that what he did is all that we need, to cover our sins. So um, there wasn't much that we had to go through the rest of, to finish that chapter out. But does anybody have any questions or comments about, maybe not even just what we went over tonight, but any of the other parts of the outline? Maybe anything that kind of stuck out to you that, you know, really kind of stood out above other things as we went through it. Mm-hmm. and um, it just, it wasn't exactly most positive, but I mean, they still have faith and stuff like that. I just like that all highlighted the story in a different light. I guess. Well, what's cool about that is as you're reading through Genesis, you're kind of reading through the original story. <laughs> yeah, the original story of what we know about Abraham. And, you know, we see all along the ways of, you know, he messed up here, messed up here. And when we get to here... Paul's really just kind of telling us, listen, this is what we need to take away from that story. This is, he, he's kind of making it easy for almost, if you want to think of like this passage right here, it's almost like the cliff notes of Abraham's life, right? This is what we need to pull away from it. We can learn from that entire story in Genesis, but this is kind of, he's wrapping it up, kind of um, giving a, like a subject that it falls under, you know, a theme that, it, it, that stands out in it. So, yeah. yep. <clears throat> Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's really cool because what you're referencing about how they're saying we did this, this, and this—it's kind of if we were to think of it today, it's almost kind of like a legalistic kind of mindset of you have to do all these different things. Well, that's not what that's not what we're here as the church to do, right? We're here to take the the gospel and take it out to the world and. It's through faith in Christ. That's how we're saved. Yes, we should live like Christ. We should live and, and, and do right, and we should not do all these different bad things. But that's, again, it, that isn't what saves us. If, if it was up to us to save us, we could do as, like I said before, we could do as much good as we want. But if we've done one bad thing, that's enough to send us to hell. Does anybody else have something? I really like, one thing that really kind of stands out to me is um, when we talked about how he believed against hope, right? That's something that, that's kind of a theme that I find uh, that kind of repeats itself a lot in my life, where, you know, I've been around a lot of people who, you know, they know the different things that I've gone through in my life, the things maybe that I'm currently going through, whatever it might be in that situ in the s- different situations, and Hopefully, in those situations, I'm living for God and I'm living joyfully and not, you know, kind of throwing a pity party saying, well, it was me, and I'm able to still have joy. There's a difference between what we consider happiness and joy, right? Joy is like, we should always have joy because of the salvation that we do have through Christ. And no matter what goes on in my day, no matter how bad my day goes, I can always you know, remember and fall back on the fact that I've been saved by Christ, what Christ did on the cross. I can have a personal relationship with God. I get to spend eternity with him. And so no matter how bad my day goes, no matter what I lose, you know, you think about Job, right? He lost literally everything. Everything was taken away from him. His friends were telling him, just go ahead and curse God and die. But he said, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord, right? That's that's an amazing testimony to think that whether God's blessing me or whether God is taking things away from me. He's still God. He still wants a relationship with me. He still gave me life. So I'm going to praise him for that. And so that idea of believing against hope, you know, that makes me think of, uh, the peace that passes all understanding, right? This idea of there was no human ground for hope, that peace that passes understanding to people who don't have Christ. It doesn't make sense, for me to be you know, at peace, for me to have joy when I'm going through difficult times. It just doesn't make sense because they don't have Christ. They don't know what I have in him. And so that's kind of the connection I make there. Uh, when there was no human ground for hope, it, it didn't make sense. But he still believed, and he had that confidence kind of hope, not that wishful thinking kind of hope, that God was going to come through with that promise. Anybody else? All right. Well, I know we're a little early especially with the kids going a little bit later, but uh give you guys some time to kind of talk and fellowship and just kind of see how everybody's doing. So, let's go ahead and we'll pray and uh then we can have some time to talk with each other. Dear God, I thank you for tonight. Thank you for uh for what we were able to look at tonight in the book of Romans and uh just the example of Abraham, God, and I just pray that as we um, go throughout our our week and you know beyond that, God, that we can remember somebody like Abraham, who even when it didn't make sense, he trusted in you. Um, even when it, it it made no sense that he was that they were going to be able to have a son, that he still had faith that you were going to make him the father of many nations, God. And I thank you uh, that the, the exact same faith that that Abraham had that credited him in righteousness is the exact same faith that we can put to you, put in you so that we're credited with righteousness. So that when, when we accept that gift of salvation, when you look at our, when you look at us, you don't see the sins that we've committed, God, that you've seen what Christ did on the cross. I thank you for that. And I think, and I just pray that as we go throughout our week, that we live in a way that reflects that, that when people look at us, they can see that we do have that joy and we do have that hope. Um, and uh, I just pray that when they see that difference in us, that can open an opportunity for us to be able to share our faith with them, God, and uh, just be able to share with them how great and awesome and powerful you are. And I just pray that you be with us as we leave here and go throughout our week. Just keep us uh, safe as we travel on the road. Continue to be with Pastor John and Sandra and the boys as they finish their trip home, and uh, again, just be with us uh, here tonight. pray everything in Jesus' name. Amen.